You're listening to a DM podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to the new series of Heroes and Howlers. It's me, Mikey Robbins, and my mate Paul Wilson. Hi everybody. Look, we're both still a couple of history tragics, but this season it's not just us doing the heavy lifting. That's right, Mikey. This season we've got special guests picking out their very own heroes. And howlers. <laughs> yeah, we're still on the lookout for those weird bits of history that have surreptitiously changed the course of mankind. And we're still uncovering the cock-ups, those moments of madness that have made the world what it is today. But now we've got backup. And together, we'll be turning history back to front and back again. Hey folks, Paulie here. Having a great time on Season 9. Great having all these new guests on. We're just going to have a break for a couple of weeks. So we're going to go back and hopefully you'll enjoy some of our classic episodes from the past few seasons. And then we'll be back with some new guests to round out the year. G'day folks and welcome to the episode. And today we're talking the church. Which of course... (laughs) has a long and distinguished history of bizarre turns and serendipitous twists. Not exclusively the Catholic Church, but I think the, uh, the, the papacy has had more than its fair share, hasn't oh, it, Oh, yes, mate. And take this from a lapsed Catholic. The papacy's got a lot of questions to answer for, particularly the one we're going to talk about today, and this is my howler. Yes. The year is 897, the Cadaver Synod. Ah, Yes. The uh, trial. Yes. The trial of a corpse? The trial of the corpse of a dead pope. <laughs> right, okay. Let's start with a bit of background. So we're talking, well, actually, although your trial isn't until the end of the 9th century, we probably need to start in the 8th. <laughs> Funnily enough, Italy, politically, is a, is a factional nest of backstabbing, skullduggery and conniving. Yes, mate, an, an unstable Italian body politic, who could believe it? Yeah, and of course, yeah, you, we all know the old joke, you know, is the Pope a Catholic? And in Europe, we often used to add, you know, is the Pope Italian? Because for so long in its history, of course, the Popes were all Italian. But back in the 8th century, Mikey, there actually is a whole succession of Byzantine Popes, aren't there? Well, so you have to remember by this stage, Byzantine is basically the capital of the Western world. That's right. Western Rome has fallen. The power has shifted East and the Byzantine emperor, he's not just dictating who gets to wear the pointy hats in churches in the East, he's also deciding who'll be appointed to St. Peter's See in Rome. So, in Italy, looking after things for him in the West, he's got a guy called the Exarch of Ravenna, and he's the guy who's pulling the strings. He's the guy, if he says you're going to be Pope, put up the white smoke. Yes, but also too, right about this time, Paul, you've also got the the Byzantians having very different concepts of Christianity, iconoclasm. That's right. In many ways, it's the beginning of the Great Schism, isn't it? You know, 1054, like we talked about in the Fourth Crusade episode. And this iconoclasm has put a few backs up in Western Europe, and they've decided, really, it's time for them to regain control, both politically and in terms of doctrine. Unfortunately for them, just when the church in the West need to do a bit of muscle flexing, lo and behold, there's a new power on the scene, the Franks. That's right, mate. And so all the rivals for the papacy, particularly the Italian bishops and nobility, who keep getting overlooked by the Byzantines, they're thinking maybe this new power base could be the answer to their prayers. (laughs) Right, exactly. So you've got the Franks. We've got a guy called Pippin the Younger, also known as Pippin the Short. He's the son of Charles Martel. And he's the founder of the Carolingians. And he's defeated the old dynasty of the Merovingians. He's defeated the Umayyads who've been coming up into Gaul from Spain. And he's got his eyes set on expansion into Italy, hasn't he? This is around about 751, right? That's right. So he speaks to the Pope, who at that stage is Pope Zachary. And Pope Zachary, he's happy to play ball. He gives the new Carolingians his blessing. He blesses the dynasty. So much so that three years later, when he's died and replaced by Stephen, Stephen II, he actually goes to France. He throws his lot in 
with Pippin and invites him to invade Italy against the old enemy, the Exarch of Ravenna, and against his other rivals, the Lombards. Now, the Lombards had originally been a German tribe, but over the centuries they'd settled in, in well, originally in northern Italy, but by this age they're throwing their weight all around. That's right. It's not just what's now Lombardy, it's actually all over Italy, isn't it? Actually, mate, before we go any further, I've just got to get this off my chest. Like, remember in the 80s we had yuppies? Yeah. yeah young, Younger, uh, pretty mobile, yeah. yeah. It was also a phrase for Lombards, L-O-M-B. Yeah, lots of money, but real dickheads. <laughs> and that actually does describe the Lombards. <laughs> At this stage, it certainly does. But that's actually to Pippin's advantage, because his invasion is so successful, he's able to steal half of the Lombards' lands, and he actually gives some of it to the Pope, in return for their alliance to uh, Stephen. Uh, the, the, the donation of Pippin, or the, the Pippin donation. The Pippin donation, which is essentially the beginnings of what, for the next thousand years, is going to be the Papal States. Yeah, that's the area of Lazio, Umbria, Emilia Romano. And you're right, Paul, even though like the size of this ebbs and wanes, they're still known as the Papal States up until 1870. That's right. So now they're a secular political power, not just, you know, a spiritual, moral Authority And this all reaches its peak under Leo, doesn't it? Leo III, he crowns Pippin's son and successor, Charlemagne, the Holy Roman Emperor, on Christmas Day 800, and forms probably the most powerful alliance in medieval Europe. Yes, but mate, here's the problem, though. When Charlemagne dies, mm. the Carolinians actually break down. That's right, yeah, of course, yeah, with Louis the Pious, who's Charlemagne's son. When he dies, there's a bit of a civil war going on between his sons, the brothers, and that's only really sorted out with the Treaty of Verdun in 843, where everyone agrees to disagree, and the only way they can resolve it is by splitting up the Frankish Empire into three, into East Francia, Middle Francia, and Western Francia. And that's where the trouble really starts and leads us to what we're going to talk about today, because the Pope, yes, he does control who gets crowned Holy Roman Emperor. But unfortunately, these Frankish factions, plus the Byzantines and the Lombards, they're all fighting for control of who becomes the Pope. And into this maelstrom enters our future Pope, our future cadaver, Pontifex Maximus, Cardinal Formosus. Okay, so today, Mikey's talking to us about the papacy, he's talking to us about the popes, and a particular howler that's gone down in history as the cadaver synod. So this Cardinal Formosus, Mikey. Yes, mate. Well, he seems to have been born around about 816. Okay, but he's not the Bishop of Rome at this stage. He's not the Pope. He's not, he's not St. Peter, is he? No, mate. We first really know about him when he becomes the Bishop of Porto. And it, cause the name Formosus it comes from the old Latin, which is, basically means good-looking. Good-looking form, yeah. And, and, quick question, mate. I've got a theory this is where Formosa, the old name for Taiwan, actually got its name from, from the Ooh, Portuguese. Yes, then that, that would make sense. But back to Formosus. Now, what we know about him in like the 860s and 870s, apart from you know being Bishop of Porto, he's also a legate to Bulgaria and also to France. And then in 875, you get the big event in Italy, don't you? Because Louis II, the king of Italy, dies. And Formosus, he's actually related to one of Louis's potential successors, Charles the Bald, isn't he? The, the king of West Francia. Yeah, that's right. Charles the Bald is Formosus' uncle. Now, Pope John VIII, mm-hmm. well, he sends Formosus up to meet Charles to invite him to come to Rome and be the new king of Italy. But? But there's another uncle, Louis the German, who's yes. the ruler of the East Frank. The East Franks, yes. Yeah, so he's a big rival. He's, a, he's the brother of Charles the Bald, but he hates Charles the Bald. Oh, right? yeah, the brothers hate each other. And I think they, they both also hate Louis uh, the Second of Italy's 
widow Engelberger as well, don't they? Yes, mate, a very tumultuous scene. It's on for young and old, but then Louis the German dies. That's right, and he's succeeded by another Charles, Charles the Fat. (laughs) Probably not a good time in history to be called Charles, bald or fat, but that's when the turmoil really kicks in. That's right, mate. In fact, it gets so dangerous that the clergy and the nobles, they all flee Rome in 876. Right, but at the same time, John VIII, the Pope, he's calling a synod in Rome, isn't he? And he's demanding that Formosus, your guy, attends. By this stage, Formosus is actually seen as Pope John VIII's rival. Right. In fact, he gets persecuted for openly aspiring to the papacy Mm. and gets excommunicated. And of course, back then, for a bishop or priest to be excommunicated, that was about as serious as it could be. Yes, but I'm only getting started. Okay. Okay. Well, John VIII was pretty paranoid, but he had a good reason to be paranoid. Mm-hmm. I mean, shortly after this, he's he's poisoned. <laughs> he has his head bashed in. With a hammer, wasn't it? With a hammer. <laughs> so in 883, Formosus is reinstated back into the Catholic Church by Pope Marinus I. And that Marinus I, he's on Formosus' side, isn't he? Because he actually sets things up so that by 891... Formosus can unanimously be elected as Pope himself. But there's a price to pay. Yes, there is. Italian politics, always a price to pay, because by now, Formosus, Marinus and their faction, they've thrown their lot in with a guy called Berengar de Friuli. Ah, he's a Carolinian. Yes, he's one of the Franks. He's a grandson of Louis the Pious on his mother's side, and he's managed to oust Charles the Fat to take over as King of Italy in 887. But he's also got his sights set on the Holy Roman Emperorship, um, which actually he does get for a short while in 915. But the problem is that he's got about seven different rivals, including fellow Carolingians, you see, Mikey, which means, of course, that this guy, Berengar, his enemies become the enemies of your man, Formosus. But, yeah, before we get ahead of ourselves, Mikey, what about Formosus of the Pope? Was he a good Pope? He was okay. He did have a few theories about the Holy Trinity that, well, they were deemed as being a little too close to heresy by some of the Conservatives. <laughs> right. I mean, I've got to admit, even after years of confirmation in Holy Communion School, I'm still not quite sure about where Spooky fits in as well. <laughs> what really ticked off the Cardinals at the Vatican was they weren't really happy with the way he was distributing the income made from the, the brothels, which they, <laughs> the church used to rent out all around Rome. Right. Yeah, and of course, the other big problem he had was Berengar's principal rival by this stage, Guy the Third or Guy Spoleto, Guido. Guido's with his, <laughs> mates. his mates, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Because this guy, Guido, he said to Berengar, Oh, no, you don't, pal. I'll be the king of Italy, not you, if you don't mind. And of course, he, Guy Spoleto, is also set to claim the Holy Roman Emperorship because of his grandmother who is Queen Adelaide of Lombardy and the great-granddaughter of Charlemagne. But here's the thing, he never quite makes the list of Holy Roman Emperors. Well, no, and that just shows you how much of a turmoil we're in here, Mikey, because the, basically the King of Italy is changing every year. The Holy Roman Emperor has is, is, got so many different rival claimants. There's about six different crowns going on at the same time. And, mate, there's a revolving door down at the Vatican. But the one thing that is constant is that the Duchy of Spoleto, Guy III's fiefdom, that is key if you want to control Italy. And it's also key if you want to defend Italy against the Saracens from the south. So he's keen to get another guy from his faction back on the papal hot seat. So Formosus realised that he needs more help, so he finds a new ally. Yeah, so he starts casting his eye around Europe for a new potential backer, and he settles on a guy called Arnulf. King Arnulf. Now, that's not a name that comes up often in history. <laughs> no, you don't hear much about Arnulf, do you? But the reason why he is potentially so useful. He's just overthrown that fat Charles, Charles the Fat, and he's taken over 
East Francia. So suddenly East Francia no longer is supporting Guy III. They're now happy to support Formosus. So Arnulf invades Italy. Formosus and Arnold join forces and actually lead their own armies against Guido. See, this is back in the days when popes had armies instead of Twitter accounts. <laughs> so it all comes to fruition in 896 when Arnulf was actually made Holy Roman Emperor. But... But unfortunately, Arnulf, he's paralysed shortly after. Now, for once, there's actually no suggestion of any dirty tricks. And even when that very same year, Formosus pops off his mortal coil, no one really points the finger, no one cries foul until... Enter Pope Boniface VI... And 15 days later, exit <laughs> Pope Boniface VI, who apparently dies of gout, which brings us to Pope Stephen VI. And that's when things get really weird, Paulie. Okay, so Stephen VI, so what he, he's some sort of skilled political animal who keeps a low profile and knows which way the wind's blowing. Actually, mate, he's a huge ally of Guido Spoleto. <laughs> right. But he does weasel his way in, he bribes his way into power, and next thing you know, puff of white smoke and Pope Stephen VI. Right. Now, his first order of business is to prosecute Guido's old enemy, Formosus. Right. But he's dead. But he's dead, right, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, but when I say prosecute, I mean quite literally. What, court? Yeah, they go to court. Now, mate, this is bizarre. They exhume Formosus' dead body mm-hmm. and put it on trial. Put it on trial? Yes, mate, the Cadaver Synod. Ah, right, okay, yeah. hence the name. Yeah, he'd been dead for seven months, so they, they <sighs> dug him up, yeah. dress him up in his papal robes. Right. They stick him on a throne in the Basilica San Giovanni Laterno. Ah, where all the uh, papal councils are held, yeah, yes. okay. And, you know, Formosus, remember how we said his name was good-looking? Yeah. Not looking good at the time. <laughs> but what were the charges, Mikey? Well, mate, there were the old charges from uh, Pope John VIII, mm-hmm. but also, too, he was charged with being a usurper. Okay, so what was his defence? Did he get his own counsel? Or? Yes, mate, he did. He got a deacon. Right. The deacon, when defending the corpse of Formosus, would often <laughs> exercise his holy right to remain silent. <laughs> Not very useful, no. Mate, it gets even worse, because occasionally this deacon would hide behind the throne mm-hmm. and answer for Formosus a bit like a ventriloquist. <laughs> ventriloquist dummy. Ah. Yeah. So here's the thing. You've got Stephen, who's a complete nutter, and this has been recorded in the papal record. Sure. He is shouting at the corpse and waving his finger in dead Formosus's face saying, yeah. why did you usurp the papacy? And the deacon from behind the throne answers, because I was evil. Mate, oh, no. The only thing that could have made it better was if he did that whilst drinking a glass of water. Bottle of beer, bottle of beer. Bottle of beer, <laughs> All right, so I'm guessing this kangaroo court, he was found guilty. Yes, mate. In fact, Formosus's papal seal was annulled, but they weren't done with him yet. Right. Formosus was stripped naked of his papal robes. Mm-hmm. His corpse was paraded through the streets of Rome. The middle three fingers of his right hand, the blessing fingers, were hacked off. Oh, that's a bit harsh. Then they throw him into a pauper's grave. Right. That's not enough. A couple of days later, they dig him up and dump him in the Tiber. Ooh, and so what are you saying, Mikey? The rest is history? No, mate, an old monk discovers the body and keeps it safe, and then Formosus strikes back. All right, folks, so we've got Mikey's cadaver synod, the trial of the <laughs> papal skeleton, um, but for most of you're saying he's not done just yet. No, mate, in fact, Rome is so outraged by the, by the treatment of the dead pope mm. that they turn on Stephen, right. on Pope Stephen. He's thrown in jail, and then he's strangled to death whilst in jail. Okay. There's a new pope after that, a right. guy called Romanus. Romanus, okay. He doesn't stick around for long, but he does stick around long enough to annul all of Stephen's actions. Right. So finally, everyone... 
See, sense and calm is restored. No, Paulie, this is Italy, remember, and also to 9th century Italy. <laughs> Romanus is overthrown in less than a year. Yeah. Then we get Pope Theodore II. Now, he only lasts 20 days. <laughs> okay. But that's long enough for him to recover from Moses' body. Oh, good. And after the 20 days, we get Pope John Paul IX. Finally, good old Formosus is buried in St. Peter's Cathedral. And he also, too, goes back onto the list of popes. He's just one out of 259. <laughs> All right, folks, so there you are, the end of the episode. What's gone down in history as the papal pornocracy? You've got to be very careful how you pronounce that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a real nadir for the popes. A time when the, the dukes and the emperors could buy bishops, could buy St. Peter's Cathedral. Man, it's not really resolved till Leo IX in 1049. Although, of course, even then, it's still not really finished, is it? You know, there's still plenty more papal pandemonium to come, isn't there? Because you've got Avignon with the Western Schism a few centuries later. And we haven't even got into the Borgias yet. (laughs) So next time you see some white smoke coming out of that famous chimney in Rome, just think of all the scheming that's gone on behind it. All right, folks, there you go. Drop us a line on all your social media using the handle at and the rest is hist. And the rest is hist. And you can find all that stuff in the show notes. Okay, and if you like the podcast, don't forget to like, subscribe and comment, you know, whichever platforms you usually use. Which brings us to next week. Now, this ep's been a bit icky, Paulie. You know, with the dug-up corpses and rotting <laughs> cadavers. Uh, please tell me you got something for next week to cheer us up. Well, uh, shipwrecks, massacres and chopped-off hands? I think, I think not. <laughs> Any questions, any comments, just drop us a line on all your social media, Twitter, Facebook, Insta, whichever you prefer. That's right, and always the same handle, at The Rest Is Hist. The Rest Is Hist, and you'll find all that in the show notes. And wherever you're listening, don't forget to like, subscribe, comment on whichever platform you happen to use. It's always good to get your feedback. Yes, keep it all coming, lots of fun. And lots of maps. <laughs> and lots of new guests to look forward to. Paulie, we've got guests galore, each with their very own hero and howler.